Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Look out, it's only films to be buried with... Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I am a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a cup holder, and I love films. As Immanuel Kant once said, By a lie, man annihilates his dignity as a man, so I must stop pretending I understood Solaris. Well, I think that's very brave of Immanuel to admit that. I got it first time, in Russian and English, just saying... Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Jamila Jamil, January Jones, Catherine Ryan and even Eddie Vedder Gambler. But this week, things are a little different and I'm bringing back from the dead Mr Nish Kumar to do our Films of the Year and Films of the Decade mashup. The next live show from this date will be at Birmingham Podfest on the 29th of March, so get your tickets fast for that. If you do enjoy the podcast and you want to support it, get more content, come and join me over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you'll get extra guest questions for most episodes. You might get some videos, recommendations, all sorts of stuff. You also get a secret. I tell all the guests to share a secret they've never told anyone, and they only tell it to the patrons, and everyone keeps their secrets. This week, I'll tell you this secret... I've included the Patreon section in the main section because sometimes I feel generous and maybe it will inspire you to join the community. Join us. So, for long-term listeners, you will know that Nish Kumar and I did a Films of the Decade special at the BFI, but we never finished it because we talked too much. So we decided to meet up and do a Films of 2019 and mop up the last of the decade too in one episode. True to form, we talked too much, and now you're left with this super mega deluxe special massive Films of 2019 and Decade special in two parts – the first time we've had a two-parter in the history of films to be buried with. History in the making. Warning, there is some very serious poo chat in the first 15 minutes. So if that's not your thing, you can skip that bit. I don't know how it happened, but here we are. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 85 of Films to be Buried with. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Films to be Buried with. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by long-time dead man, <laughs> fourth-time resurrected. He is a writer, an actor, a director, a radio show host, 
a presenter, a comedian, and the owner of the Soho Theatre, <laughs> and purveyor of all that is good. Please welcome to the show, back from the dead for the fourth time. It's Mr. Nish Kumar. I think I'm at best two of those things. I think comedian and presenter, and even then, you're pushing it. No one's getting me in to, you know, host songs of praise. Now, oh, I would love to see you on the songs of praise. <laughs> love to see you getting really wound up on songs of praise. Oh, this next one's a fucking banger. This hymn is long. Uh... The lyrics to this next one are outrageous. Even my own impression of myself is this sort of... I do my own voice as a sort of strained yell. <laughs> that's me. That's got, that, things have got really bad where my own impression of myself is an even more annoying voice than my own quite annoying voice. <laughs> now, listen, for the listener, for the uh, long-term listener who listens to... who's followed the story of Nish Kumar and his life, let me say this. We've come a long way... <laughs> We are recording this in Nish's uh, bedroom. Now, those of you who may remember last year's films of the year, it was the it was a fucking disgrace. It was the the bedroom of someone who hasn't washed in twelve years or left the room. Now, this place is sparkling. It's much cleaner. It's much cleaner. Seems like he sorted out his mental problems. <laughs> Cleaned up his act, and I'm very impressed. I would say that when your partner threatens to leave you, <laughs> that's when that's when you clean up your act. Have it. It was also just I just I'd been so much crap. That oh, I had too it. much crap. Was it hard? Been in the crap. Yeah, it was quite hard to bin the crap. Mm. I'm a hoarder instinctively. Yeah, I like to be surrounded by stuff, and so it was quite hard. But you know, at a certain point, you're probably not going to need. I sort of think someone else has... I, I tried, On Sunday, I had a thing. I was like, I'm going to empty my house, get rid of all this shit I don't need. Yeah. And within 10 minutes, not only could I... Did, did I go, oh, I probably need that. I probably need that to things I hadn't seen in five years. But I also got bored. <laughs> it is really up. boring. Yeah. It's really boring. Yeah, it's not for me. <laughs> um, now, so this is a special episode. For, for those who care, you may have thought, hey... They did have films of the decade. Yeah. But what we didn't do was our films of the year. And also what we didn't do, Brett, was we'll finish, finish the films of the decade. <laughs> because we talked too much for the allotted time at the BFI. We talked too much for the allotted time. We also forgot, I think we forgot that we were comedians. Yeah. And so as soon as we were presented with an audience, mm. I would say we probably played it up a bit more. We might have milked it a we bit. We did milk it a little bit more. And we also had to leave time for the sing-along at the end. Yeah. And I, I don't regret that. Part. No, I don't regret that at all. Uh, and also, we've been busy. I've we've been, been a very, very busy. busy boy. And I had not seen enough of the films of the this year. This is the thing. You've by been January. A, you've been a very busy boy, but also you have very stringent rules about... You, you, hadn't, you felt that you hadn't seen enough films. I was, at the point of January 1st, was not qualified to make a <laughs> Films of the Year list because I had not seen so many of them. So I have dedicated this last month to catching up on all the films of 2019 that I should have seen. Yeah. There's a couple of gaps. Hands up. Yeah, there's de- definitely a couple of gaps for me. Two gaps. I Three. This is, this is the first year of my life that I have kept, it was partly inspired by our friend Nathaniel Metcalf. Huge fan. Huge fan. That's uh, fan club. That's fan club. That's Metcalf. 
Nathaniel Metcalf yeah. will tweet every single film that he sees. I mean, he does every single movie that he sees, mm. whether he's seen it before, whether it's new, whether it's old, whatever. Yeah. And I always enjoy following his journey through the year. Yeah. But I actually kept a record of all of the new films that I saw in the cinema last year, just because I thought it would be... How many was it? I think it ended up being 52. One a week. I think I saw one a week. I didn't... So there are th- there are three movies that I didn't count that I did see mm-hmm. because they were they were not they were previews. The film festival I saw Parasite last year doesn't count. I saw uh, Jojo Rabbit and I saw First Love. Oh, how's that? For, well, I don't know if I can talk about it because no. technically it doesn't count. <laughs> right. So the rules basically are... it's so fun uh. and the, it is the earliest decapitation in any film I've ever seen. <laughs> it's Takeshi Miike's new movie and it is. A lot of fun. Okay. Now, the rules as, uh, are very strict. Yeah. The films of the year for 2019 can only have been released in the UK, UK. between January 1st and December 31st. So Parasite, Brexit means Brexit. Brexit, Brexit means Brexit. Brexit. Parasite. We love Parasite. We, it ain't we 2019. Parasite. I'm sorry, it's not on this list. Leave means leave. <laughs> Let's see if... Uncut Gems. Not on this list. Leave means leave. Get out. Get out. Brexit. I've got gems. Get out. Two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would say Jojo Rabbit, New Year's Day release. Fuck off. Sorry, Jojo. Jojo, Sorry, Jojo. You're late, son. Get back in the attic. (laughs) Get back in the attic, Jojo. You fucked it. Yeah, you were one day late. (laughs) <laughs> and that one really counted that day, which is a lesson to us all. I went to the London Film Festival premiere of Jojo Rabbit. Have I, I told you that. this? No, you haven't. I went to the London Film Festival premiere as the plus one of our friend and former guest of the show, Rose Matafango. Rose Matafango. Now, she went, of course, because she's from New Zealand yes. and there's 12 of them. Yes, and so if you're them. from New Zealand, you get invited to every single New Zealand film premiere. <laughs> either that either that, or she knows Taika. One of right. the two. Did you meet Taika Wakawiki? No, so I didn't meet Taika. We went there and it was a London Film Festival and we were trying to go in through the side of the Odeon, but they had shut that and so they were making us walk through the red carpet. (sighs) And what I will say, Brett, is sure, I'm famous. Yeah. Definitely not red carpet famous. I don't know what colour carpet I'm for, like grey carpet. (laughs) I'm sort of an off beige level of fame. Yeah. But the person who, the people who run the London Film Festival are very lovely Mm. and they saw me and Rose and they were very excited but now, if you work for the London Film Festival, you might have a slightly skewed sense, because you already work in the media, right. of how famous me and Rose, matter of fact, are. Yeah. And they made us do the paparazzi thing after Tyker. Oh, and so Tyker's in front, and it's like machine gun fire of all of these cameras. Yeah. I'll tell you, the only sound louder than that is the silence when they all stop. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> me and Rose just walked out. Oh, Jesus silence. Jesus Christ. And then just from the back, I hear one bloke go, Nish? <laughs> just with absolutely no confidence. <laughs> he just took a swing at it. Did you say yes? Yeah. And well, I, I started laughing hilariously, like uproariously. And so there's two, there's like a Getty Images picture of me and Rose. If you, basically, if you Google my name and Rose Matafeo's name, you can see the exact moment when I lost it laughing because a photographer said my name with no confidence. <laughs> anyway, Jojo Rabbit, get out of there. Get out. Now, uh, oh, shit. Oh, oh Nish. 
This is mental. This is mental. I've come to your house. I've talked about how clean it is. I've been so nice. And yet, I forgot to tell you quite important information. You fucking died again. Reincarnation, baby. Fourth time. You live by the Hindu sword, you die by the Hindu sword. How'd you die this time? Well, so my deaths so far, I think, have been run over whilst listening to myself on a podcast, on this podcast. Yeah. And then I think maybe having a bread roll thrown at me and I fall backwards off the stage. Yeah. I mean, I think probably this time I'll say something more mundane, like, I mean, almost certainly heart attack. I got very bad. I had a really funny conversation with... Ramesh Ranganathan, yes. celebrity Sri Lankan yeah. and comedian Ramesh. Ramesh? Where we were talking, Ramesh? Nish? <laughs> where I was talking to Ramesh and we were talking about how we, a lot of the same people who dislike him dislike me. No idea why. Weird that. <laughs> it's almost as if there's one significant and admittedly brown reason that Ramesh <laughs> and I keep attracting a lot of the same negativity. And Ramesh said something really funny. He was like... You know, there's people who hate us. It's like, we're not going to be around for very long because our hearts are going to explode at some point. We just, South Asians have a really bad history of heart disease. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. Uh, And also not helped by our lifestyles. Hmm. So Ramesh was like, I want to explain to these people, if you don't like me, don't worry. (laughs) We've got 10 years at most. Oh, boy. I don't want you to have a heart attack. You can do things to mitigate against it, like some exercise. Yeah, but how's that going? I'm, I will not compromise, bro. <laughs> I had, I've always admired that about you. <laughs> yeah, you fucking stick to your, your, your artery guns. I will stick to my cholesterol-addled yeah. guns. When did this heart attack happen? Where were you? I, I mean, probably on the toilet. Let's be real. Mm. Full Elvis. <laughs> Eating a burger? Eating a burger. <laughs> a dirty burger? <laughs> Eating a dirty burger Eating on the a dirty toilet. burger on the toilet. Have you ever eaten on the toilet no. whilst doing an number no. two? No, because that's mm. the... I think... You know this, like that thing where, that says that your brain is never the same after you take LSD? I think your whole personality mm. is never the same if you eat whilst you're having a shit on the yeah. toilet. I yeah. think that's like... I think that's a Rubicon... That you cross. I think that's right. I think, yeah, I think that once, I think once you've done that, you're ready to kill a man. I think you've let go of so much of human decorum. Mm. Does this mean you've eaten something on the toilet whilst having a number two? Many, 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 many years ago. Uh And I'll say this, Nish, I don't know if I'll keep it in the podcast. It did change me. (laughs) You're absolutely right. It was so disturbing. It was an experiment. I can't remember what I ate. (laughs) But it was like an experiment, and it was so disturbing. What were you trying to experiment? Were you worried I that know, it was... I guess I was. I was like, I want to see if it. Uh, what comes straight like, out? Like as in rubbing your head and having your, but, but uh, you know, rubbing your belly and banging your head. Like, can you do both at once? <laughs> and you can, but it's so disturbing. What did you think? It, was there a part of you <laughs> yeah, that thought it might fall straight out. through? <laughs> that you thought once the Jesus. system was opened up. We're not sure about keeping this in, but it's funny. <laughs> Who knows, buddy? You have it. I really hope you keep it in, Brett. It's very off-brand. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not right. Do you know the story? What? Uh, this is my favourite story, but it's really... I have yeah. to put a warning to the audience. Like, yeah, it's yeah. gross. Uh, so there was this couple. They love each other. They have a great life. They're together for two years. Lovely. Uh, very happy. Adventurous. They do drugs together. They have crazy sex together. Yeah, they? yeah. 
one day they're on pills yeah they're really high they've had a great night they're back at back at his place they're sort of talking and kissing and being all weird yeah and they're like what haven't we done we've done everything they've done everything they've yeah. tried everything and one says we've never shit on each other and had sex and and they're so high they're like yeah let's do it we can do anything we love each other and so they both did a did a poo and then they had sex on the floor in the poo with like poo you know between them and stuff and then they orgasmed and finished and then in absolute silence they cleaned up and they got a, a mop and a and a hoover and a broom and they scrubbed the floors and they didn't talk and when they finished he walked her to the door they said goodbye and they never saw each other again <laughs> I, I totally get that you, don't, you can't well, come back from you that. can't come back from that but I and I like that it was totally like they didn't need to discuss it where did you get here the story who is this it's Al, Al Green it's friends of Al Green <laughs> It's my, it's my favourite story because I fully respect them for understanding the moment. Oh, yeah, dear, right. we've gone too far. Yeah, yeah. And now we can't come back. And oh, yeah, no. it's over. Yeah. This is done. Yeah. And good luck to It's him. like jumping the shark. It's, it's like doing a poo and eating. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I don't think people are expecting that. But I, I don't put think that people in... are expecting that. Certainly not from a starting point of Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> Uh, it's, a, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> so, what are we going to do? Right, so first we're going to do the questions like we normally do, but yep. we're going to do them for the films of 2019. 2019. Then we are going to mop up the <laughs> questions that we didn't finish for films of the decade. Then we're going to do our top ten of the year and our top ten of the decade. Great. And then we're going for Nando's. And then we're going, and then we're going for Nando's on the toilet. On the toilet together, <laughs> staring into each other's eyes. And then like, we will never see each other I would again. like half a chicken hot and my table number is the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is the first film you saw in 2019? I can tell you exactly what the first film I saw in 2019 mm-hmm. is, Brett, because this list was done in chronological order. The first film I saw in 2019 was Vice. I, am go- I have Vice in a different answer. But my, I think the first one I saw was uh, The Favourite. Oh, right, OK. That was the second film I saw. Right. I think yeah. we saw them in reverse order. Yeah. Uh, what did you make of The Favourite? I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, it was good, wasn't it? I'm, I'm really up for... I, I'm also just talking, again, a film we're not including yeah. in the list, but I'm talking having seen David Copperfield quite recently. Oh, yeah. And obviously that because of the colourblind casting, mm. feels like a really interesting take. The favourite obviously doesn't operate yeah, sort of colourblind casting in that way. But I'm really up for these slightly more revisionist or... Just, just somebody doing something interesting with a yeah. period drama. Just because there's no need for us to sit through another fucking period drama yeah. that's done in exactly the same way as all the rest of them. Agreed. The favourite was was wonderful yeah really good really good and and i i i said this to someone they were like oh that sounds rude but i was like i i say this with love and respect like i think that the reason olivia common got the oscar and 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 it's such an amazing performance is because it is such a non-vain performance it's very unglamorous and i and i say that i don't want to sound offensive as in she allows herself to be very 
<laughs> you know, she's very unglamorous. Well, she's, like that. she spends most of the movie vomiting. Eating pies. In, yeah, eating pies and then vomiting into various vases. Yeah, and sort of spitting and crying and trying to... <laughs> but she's fucking brilliant. And yeah, it's a really funny movie and... Yeah. The the sort of dynamic between those three, I I I think it's my favourite thing Emma Stone has done, apart from Easy A, of course, which is an excellent film. Cool, but it's my favourite thing, and I really like seeing Rachel Weisz yeah. in that sort of Being in funny. that comedic register, and she's she's obviously got a really. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name, but you're just. Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah, Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos Lanthimos. Those two work really well together because she was great in The Lobster as well. Yeah. And, yeah, it's really nice to see her in... I, I sort of associate Rachel Weisz with, like, crying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so good to see really her be bu- funny. But it's so good to see her be funny. And Coleman was just... I mean, yeah. she, she was pretty... She was just regal yeah. in the, in all in positive and negative ways. yeah. I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I I had a lot of time for Vice. I thought Vice was well an interesting and curiously underrated, underrated movie. But let's talk about that. Well, let's later talk. On. Okay. Yeah. But well, now, well, well, we can move things yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My answer for Vice is the film that wasn't critically acclaimed that I think is amazing. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I think Vice. What I've, Vice got very mixed reviews. Yeah. I'm like, it is a flat out five star film and I can't understand any. I, I thought it was, I thought it was criticism excellent. Criticism of it. It's I, fucking good. I really liked all of the risks that it took, including, I, I thought the fake ending that's in the middle mm. of Vice is one of the funniest things. It's possibly, is one of the funniest things I've seen in a film this year. I thought it was yeah. just a really, really, as a single joke, I thought it was so funny. Yeah. And I really liked the narrative arc and the reveal of Jesse Plemons' character. Yeah. Because there is a really interesting thing where he seems to be this completely unrelated character who is narrating this incredibly important political story. And the the sort of reveal of that, I did not... I'm famously bad at spotting <laughs> twists anyway, but... Um, I really didn't see that coming. I thought that was an incredible reveal. Um, I listened and I'd recommend you listen to it in case you haven't. Uh, Pete Holmes' podcast, You Made It Weird. Yeah. There's an episode from last year with Adam McKay. Yeah. And I was listening to it just today when and it's talking about Vice in a serious amount of detail. And when you listen to that, it'll make you like it even more because so much of the stuff, it's all so researched. Like yeah. the speech he does at the end, this kind of Shakespearean monologue. Yeah, yeah. The 70% of things he actually said. Right, okay. And all, the, you know, he was like this metaphor of his heart. It's like, it's true. Like yeah, he yeah. had a dodgy heart. Yeah, And yeah. his heart kept exploding when he did these terrible things. It's like, it's a brilliant dramatic device. Yeah, but it's yeah. fucking true. All I, that stuff. I, the, the critique advice that I really, I, Adam McKay makes films in such a, they're such particular style and particular tone with, you know, characters looking down the barrel of the camera and also these kind of deliberate, almost sketch... I mean, his sketch roots do mm. show through, I think, in The Big Short and in Vice. But the sort of restaurant skit uh, yeah. with Alfred Molina, yeah. that I really love all of that. But I do understand he operates in a particular register and if that isn't a style... In the same way that Yorgos does, they've got a yeah. very distinctive style of filmmaking. If that's not something you're into then I can completely respect and appreciate that. I love it. The critique I didn't understand was the idea that the film went easy on Dick Cheney. 
That oh, was yes. the thing that I found absolutely perplexing. Mm. I, I have, I've had a couple of conversations. I've read a couple of articles where they said it made him out to be a sort of cuddly figure. And I was what? like, what fucking movie did you yeah. watch? Like, That's mad. He's, he's satanic. Yeah. Like, he's a monster in this movie. And also the film pretty explicitly lays the blame for Trump on him because mm. of the... They make such a big... They sort of highlight so significantly amongst all the other things. Obviously, the lead-up to the war in Iraq, the various terrible things that he did. But they really highlight the legislation they brought in that relaxed rules on political journalism and impartiality and sort of blame him for Fox News and Trump implicitly. I thought it was was a furious film in Mm. the best possible way. Yeah. It, it, I, I, again, to bring up Nathaniel Metcalf, because he didn't. It, he said he found it difficult to enjoy and he found it difficult to laugh because it was such an angry film. But you know, it's a it, it's an angry subject, Matt. Yeah. You know, it's. It, it, I thought it was an extraordinary movie. Yeah. Oh, great! I, I love it, and I, I also really think it's it. my favorite Christian Bale performance. I think he's amazing in it. He is. He is very good in it, as well documented on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a lot of love for him in American Hustle. Oh yeah, um, but it's he is great in this. Mm. He, I thought he was brilliant in it. Sam Rockwell is a oh, Sam Rockwell it. is a better W yeah, than Josh Brolin was in W. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I thought Sam Rockwell caught that sort of that his yeah. mannerisms really interestingly. Carell was great as Rumsfeld. Always great. Always great, and yeah. of course the greatest actor of all time, Amy Adams. Another phenomenal performance. Great first films. Yeah, really good first films. What is the film that scared you most this year? Uh, we've I, we talked about it on scary okay. on the films of the decade it's podcast. Midsummer. Midsummer. It's the only film that I've had to watch through my jumper. I thought it was. I thought it was absolutely terrifying. Here's something I've wanted to say that I forgot to say when yeah. we did the decade. I'll raise you, Amy Adams, for greatest actor of our of our <laughs> lifetime. And I'll raise you Florence Pugh. Listen. I think Florence Pugh is the great... I mean, she's still young. She's got a long way to go. But already, you go, Florence Pugh's in it. It's going to be fucking brilliant. She's going to be amazing. Yeah. You you could already stack up... All of her work. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I would say Fighting With My Family. Yeah. Her performance in that. Fighting With My Family, lovely film as well. A real well, unexpected delight. But that felt like a sort of movie star performance. She's where, and shit. Little Women was, I, I thought she was absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. But, and Midsummer, you know, she's she carries the whole movie. She's the whole film. Yeah. It, she, 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 she's in almost every single scene of it. it, it she is extraordinary in that film. Yeah. I Listen, I'm not going to disagree with you okay. entirely. Even though I do fundamentally disagree with you because Amy <laughs> Adams is the greatest actor of all time. But yeah, she's... And also, yeah. very good American accent. Very good. Not always a given for and British she can actors. do comedy. She can do... Yes. Crying. And she doesn't seem like a dickhead. No, she doesn't seem like... I she's... met her briefly. She was not a dickhead. Great. That's great. Yeah. She... Look, I... I look, I... I, I, know, I know exactly what you're saying. And she's great for the reasons that I think Amy Adams is great. Mm. And that she's capable of seemingly doing anything yeah let's see if she can sing amy adams has still got enchanted you quickly do a musical because i'm in the middle of a very serious <laughs> argument <laughs> uh, she has to do a lot in 
She has to do a lot of extraordinary heavy lifting in Midsummer. Unbelievable. It, because, you the know... The new woman, she's play, she plays two ages and has a different voice. Yeah. When she's a younger and a different walk. And she's just... Yeah, and also she's... Midsummer is, as hereditary, is sort of two different films. It's a relationship breakup movie mm. and a Wicker Man-style cult horror film. Yeah. And she manages to make both elements work, which is really impressive. One other thing about Midsummer, got to give a shout out to uh, Jack Trainer. Is that his name? The boyfriend. That is a really, he's really good because that yeah. is a hard part to play because he has to play sort of pathetic and unlikable yeah. in a like honest way without cheat. He doesn't cheat. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. make it like, oh, but he's charming and he's sort of, it's really brave because that's a very, it's like, a very unattractive yeah. part to play. Well, and it gets really unattractive yeah. when the old lady starts pushing his butt at the end. Yeah, yeah. And he's, <laughs> It's very, yeah, I mean, that's tough. Another great performance from Will Poulter as well. Another, just to add to Will Poulter's canon of dickheads, like Will (laughs) Poulter is sort of building up this rogues gallery, because with this and Detroit, he's really got a nice line in being a piece of shit. (laughs) Uh, I thought it was terrible. What was your scariest movie? Oh, Eighth Grade. Eighth grade was so stressful. Yeah. It's probably, I I don't like to say things, I do like to say things like the greatest or whatever, but the the most visceral feeling of being a a teenager and, uh, you know, like the scene where she arrives at the party. The the pool party. The pool party. The pool party is cut and executed like a horror film. Yeah. It's so scary. Yeah, and it's like, so you feel funny. like you're having a panic attack just watching it. You're so you've bought into her yeah. dilemma so far by that point. Also, you know, oh god, it was yeah, it's an extraordinary movie. Yeah, it's, it's an absolutely so well incredible film. Yeah, it's and one it's of my beautiful. answers that one, but it's yeah, it's an it's just an extraordinary movie. But yeah, I I totally know what you mean. Yeah. About that as a horror movie, like you're, you're, it is like a horror movie because you're sort of going, don't go in there, yeah, don't yeah, go yeah. there, don't go there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> run away. Uh... What an incredible performance as well, yeah. and by Burnham as well. Like it's his first movie. What can't he do? Yeah, he, he does seem to be able to do anything mm. because he also shoots stand up brilliantly because he yeah, directed yeah. Um, Chris Rock's Tambourine and Eight by Jared Carmichael which are two oh. of the best-looking stand-up specials in yeah. the last sort of decade, I'd say. So he, you know, he's really, he's really such an impressive dude. And he has that the Florida Project vibe of going, of just having pure empathy for these kids and for, yeah. and for making a point that yeah. kids, kids with social media don't have a choice. Yes, the, totally. That's their reality, into, yeah. And it's... Also, the shooting drill... Oh my is God. very funny, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, and is played for laughs, but is also horrific, and is also completely true. Yeah, and it's yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean that there's so much of that movie that is absolutely horrifying, <laughs> and it's so. Uh, this is a spoiler, but at the end when she sort of stands up to the girl, it's such a sort of oh, it's sweet, an extraordinary. Moment. She doesn't look at her, yeah, and her eyes are like rolling back in her head. And she says her big speech and she walks away, and it's shot like she's won. Something. Yeah. 
but it's also like I don't think the girl was even listening to her, but it was for her that she did. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's so beautiful. It's like the end of Rocky. Yeah. Or you know what it most reminds me of? It's like um, when David Brent tells Chris Finch to fuck off. Yes. You know it's it. You, it doesn't really damage Chris Finch yeah. really. But it was all about... For him. It, it, it was, was for him. And like the end of that movie is her so sort of triumph. Ah, I love that. It's great. That's what made me want to cry. What's the, speaking of which, what's the film that made you cry the most? Eighth grade. This was, this was my it? answer for eighth grade. But it was... I mean, th- I was crying pretty much through the whole film. Right. But the scene that really tipped me over the edge was when her and her dad mm. are sat by the fire in the uh, sat by that fire in the garden that's great and that whole scene i thought was incredible but the moment where he says i've loved being your dad oh, just abs- just absolutely broke me yeah. it just absolutely broke <laughs> me because also i think through that movie she feels so alienated and so unloved mm. and so at odds with everything around her and just the idea that her dad the whole time who you know you can mm. you can feel that he's been trying his best for her yeah. the whole film and but he's just not able to do it and it, it, you know it's it's one of those things where i think it's very fashionable and we people like you and me love films that are able to show show something without telling are, are able to sort of build to these mm. emotional climaxes that don't necessarily get verbalised, but sort of happen and bubble yeah. underneath. But there is something to be said for just people just laying it all out and having a character, and also just building up, you build up and build up and build up to it, and then you just have a character just straight up explode with emotion. And it's just if it's if sentimentality is earned, there is nothing more satisfying. Oh, than but that. it's so brilliantly written that because he sort brilliant. of accidentally says profound stuff. Yeah, like he doesn't. And it's so he he's trying to express to her like that it's good that you're nice, like yeah. that, that you're in this world that where niceness is yeah. like not it's sort of fra- not cool. But it's like he says, I I wanted to teach you all this stuff, and I realised I didn't have to because you were already that. Yeah, thing. yeah, so beautiful. And also shout out for her little weird boyfriend. Oh, That's yeah, a lovely great performance. Scene. It's a lovely performance. Day. Oh, and also, it's the most true thing because so much of sort of teenage movies are the dweeby character mm. pursuing the hot character mm. and it being resolved in some way that's sort of satisfying. They they both get together and you're like, you two would never get together. You should get together with the other dweeby character. Yeah. You should find the person you have something to actually in common with. Like and I thought, was, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I thought his behaviour at the pool party is also yeah. absolutely hilarious. Like, I, I just hit oblivious to everything that's going on around him. And, just that last their their oh, date God, at the I end is such that. a so is such a funny and beautiful yeah, and, and pure moment. I'm really enjoying this conversation. Is this a good conversation? <laughs> yeah, no, this is a great conversation. It's really going well. Oh boy, it's such a sweet, such a sort of endearing, and it's it's such an interesting counterpoint to Ladybird, which is obviously as yeah. you and I are are on <laughs> some level teenage girls. <laughs> From Sacramento, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's a really it, it, it was a really good companion piece. Yeah, that's uh, true. It's such a wonderful movie. Uh, film what, made what, me cry the most is Fighting With My Family. Did it really? Oh, boy. Oh, oh really? boy. <laughs> I was in America. I might have been a bit jet-lagged, but I ain't using that as an excuse. Yeah. Because I checked, and I went to sit on my own, 
because I love Stephen Merchant and I yeah. love Florence Pugh. And I thought, I'll check it out. It was like opening weekend. I was on my own. I was fucking, I cried five <laughs> times, but like noisy. Like it wasn't, it was sort of not busy. Yeah. I was right at the back, but like, <laughs> like proper. I was like, I don't quite know why it fucked me up so bad. But then yeah. I bought it for my sister for Christmas. And she said she cried an awful lot. And I was like, that's interesting. I thought Isn't maybe it I was, your upbringing. Maybe we he were wrestling little wrestling fans. Yeah. <laughs> Whose parents had done violence. I thought, I, I, yeah, I loved it. I mean, I saw it on a plane. So my tears oh, do come with a caveat. Yeah, caveat like of caveat. that. But I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. I well, it's, it was so... it's, it's like a perfect sports movie. Yeah. It's really funny. But it also has a very real, interesting, difficult storyline with the brother and the sister. That's, yeah, that that and I thought was the real... Acceptance of not being the best. And it's really hard, that. That's, that, that's heartbreak. Their sort yeah, of yeah. argument is, is really quite heartbreaking. It did it did make me cry. When the, when the brother comes back, like yeah. when, he, when he actually is like supportive of her, that yeah. did, that did make me cry. But also, I what an what a sort of unexpected delight of a movie. I thought yeah. it was just really charming, really fun, just really good, wholesome family film that's not shit. Exactly the sort of film that, from the trailer, looks like a lot of films. And yeah, you, you yeah, could yeah. dismiss it. It's like oh, I've seen that film, but you haven't seen that film done really, really, really well. Yeah, I sort of hope it becomes a kind of Christmas yeah. family staple because. It is really rare that you find a movie that is not patronising to children, but is yeah, and is entertaining for the entire family. It's lovely, and she's a fucking movie star, man. She's, she's incredible in it. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. That's three percent on your favorite products at Apple, two percent on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and one percent on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. Uh, right, so I've answered my meant to be shit, but I loved it as Vice. What was your answer for that? I'll, I'll say it, Brett. Yeah. Happy death day to you. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I have watched both of the Happy Death Day franchise movies. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of the Happy Death Day to You extended cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought this was going to be terrible. Happy Death Day to You is basically a cheap horror. It's a Bloomhouse, yeah. however, like two to five million dollar movie. Yeah. And it's sort of a ripoff of Groundhog Day. And then the second movie 
not a rip-off, as in it's yeah. consciously, like one of the characters at one point says, have you ever seen the film Groundhog Day? Right. So it's a girl gets murdered over and over again, and she's sort of trying to solve the murder through the process. Yeah. And then Happy Death Day to You becomes this weird, like, science fic... Like, it becomes... If Happy Death Day to You was a horror movie, ha- Happy Death Day's a horror movie, Happy Death Day to You is a science fiction film. What's it, what's and it's it ripping off? Ba- lots of Back to the Future. Oh, great. Yeah, and it was... So it's like Avengers Endgame? Yes, there was definitely some some overlap with Avengers Endgame. This is why you like it. This is secretly why I like it. I I thought Happy Death Day to You was I thought it was really fun, really charming, quite smart script, willfully stupid in places, and I it was just a complete unexpected delight. Now, when I said I had three gaps, one of them is Happy Death Day to You. <laughs> I hold my hands up. That one I have not had the chance to catch up on because I've not seen Happy Death Day. He, they're, they're such good, dumb, fun movies in okay. such an honest way. And I had such a good time watching it. That's lovely. Lovely. Uh, all right. I think we can do this one quickly because yeah. we both know the answer. Sexiest film of the year. Hustlers. Hustlers. Let's move on. <laughs> Travelling bo- bone is worrying wider. Easiest question to, for me to answer. Oh, go on. The sex machine in high life. Oh, great answer. E- easily. Easily. With anyone in it. But with Binoche in it. Yeah. Because it's really weird. It's quite scary. And really unsettling mm. and quite scary. But ultimately, it's still Juliette Binoche. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's sexy still... scary. It's sexy scary, that scene. It was... Yeah, you're weeping on your own boner. <laughs> <laughs> if I may quote from my own autobiography. <laughs> Part two, weeping on my own boner. That's the 400-page section. <laughs> After the very short part one. My first boner. Um, what was your uncomfortable boner? Um, I've said uh, Little Women because, <laughs> because I had no idea how old anyone was going to be at any point. Because it never it says, and like I know they're young and then they're older, but I'm like, I don't know how old yeah, sure. anyone is here. I, I guess I shouldn't be having any thoughts. I think, mate, yeah, of. I think... I think it's. I think, I think at no point is it safe to fancy any of the little also, women. Also, they're a, called little women. This is the problem when you take a movie and mess with the narrative. Yeah. This is a problem when you have when you start because at the beginning you're like, well, this is obviously fine. She's yes, only got her own in New York. A, yeah, she's a writer. She's a published <laughs> author. This is okay. But then it's like I don't know. They're dancing for the. I've never danced before. Like I don't know how old. What's going on? <laughs> I I thought. My answer t- would be disgusting. Yeah. But I forgot that when it came to troubling bonus, I'm very much playing tennis with Roger Federer here. <laughs> oh, dear. Nish, what is the film that meant the most to you? Not just the film itself, but because the experience you had around seeing it this year. I, I've said Avengers Endgame previously. Yeah. yeah. But what I will say, and this is slightly ruined by your uncomfortable boner, but Little Women. Yeah. So I went to see Little Women mm-hmm. with my uncle and my two cousins who are uh, 13 and 15. And I sort of didn't know what they were going to make of it. Mm-hmm. And they're always making fun of me for sort of trying to force culture down their throat and make them do things. And like, make um, you know, I'm always making fun of them for constantly being on TikTok. And I really didn't know how they were going to take, how they, what yeah. they were going to get out of Little Women because... You know, you do read lots of stuff about young people. They don't have attention spans, this, that and the other, whatever. And I I really didn't know whether they were going to enjoy it. I thought it might be, they might just be bored by it. But um, 
I, so like we sort of we sort of took a risk on it, and at the end, and I, the whole time I was thinking like they're going to be hating this. Like in the back of my mind, I was absolutely loving Little Women. I thought Little Women was incredible. It's fucking a brilliant. great movie. I love the way it was made. The shot of um, when Joe and Beth are on the beach and the uh, sort of winds blowing the sand across. I just thought that was like a. It was just a perfect yeah. shot. It was beautiful. Looked gorgeous. And what a great advert for being brave when you adapt a beloved yeah. book. What a great advert for taking risks with the adaptation. Yeah. And again, going back to this thing of if we're going to do a period film that's an adaptation of a beloved mm-hmm. book that has been filmed so many times before. And you very have, well before. And very well before. Yeah. You have to, you have be, to be doing it for a reason. And yeah, t- totally. It was such a great advert for being bold and being brave. And I think that the sort of twist bit that she put at the end... Yes. ...is so, uh, it's so brilliant because it works on like all the levels because he says... They have to get together. That's yeah. what the audience wants. And you as the audience go, yeah, that's what yeah, I that's want. that's what I want, yeah. And so you see it and you feel satisfied. And then you're also, that didn't happen. Yeah, that, didn't. She wrote it <laughs> and you were happy. So you kind of get both. You get her being an yeah. independent writer and you yeah. also get the treat of them being together. Yeah. I For me, it was it was perfect. Yeah, it's brilliant. It, 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 was, it was a perfect way to handle that ending. Yeah. And again, yeah, I just thought it was really brave. But yeah, I took my cousins... Didn't know how they were going to react to it. And the 13-year-old boy, literally the credit started and he just turned to me and went, that was absolutely brilliant. And I just thought it was such a nice, it was just such a nice moment. That's nice. And I finally felt like, because I, normally we go and see things like the Lego movie, which let's face it, we all enjoy. But I thought that I was, I was out on a bit of a limb and actually they both really loved it. That's nice. And it is good to, because just because constantly when people talk about cinema, we talk about it constantly. Like it's like we're in the like last 25 minutes of it. You know, we're really in the death throes of it as a medium and young people don't want to watch movies. And if you make something that's good Mm. and you put a lot of care and attention and love into it. And also, especially with the perspective of the teenage girl, if you do something about being a young woman which is there's still so many undiscovered stories about being a young woman if you offer things to kids don't care is my experience as long yeah. as things are good i think we people who don't know many teenagers just assume that they've all fried their brains on a combination of snapchat pornography and pornography on snapchat but actually <laughs> my favorite guy yeah <laughs> leaves no trace <laughs> but actually if you offer them something that's good and interesting and made with a lot of love care and a willingness to try new things and experiment they'll absolutely love it i like that a lot i'm gonna say i mean it's not a particularly uh emotional answer but i was in america for a while and i was working on this job and i was uh working all the time and i was having a nice time but i was also sometimes kind of lonely i think and i had lots of time where I wasn't with anyone, which I don't mind, but there was quite a lot of driving around on my own. And I had this gig at Flappers, uh, which is a comedy club in in LA, and I went there, and the gig was great, but I didn't really talk to anyone. I went on stage, did this gig, had a really good gig, and then came off stage, didn't really have anyone to talk to, didn't know anyone. Got in my car, and I was, like, buzzing, but I was like, I've got nothing, you know, nowhere to sort of... 
and uh, there was a cinema next door to the club. Yeah. And I went there, and this film High Life, uh, Claire Denis, of course, sci-fi yes, art sir. film, was there, and. I went and it was on like it was like ten thirty night eleven o'clock, and I went in and it was a very weird cinema and I sort of went just because I was kind of couldn't I knew I wouldn't sleep yeah and I wasn't even sure I wanted to see this film and it was weird cinema with like sort of sofas and I ended up having to sit next to this old man <laughs> on like reclining chairs together and basically is the sort of like magical cinema experience where I was like. I fucking loved this film and it blew my mind and it was so unexpected and so weird and so not like anything I'd ever seen. And all the things you say about cinema dying and everything, you go, yeah. that this film got made yeah. and it's so unusual and so dark and all the stuff that I hate about special effects, it was like, it's the most amazing yeah. special effects. It doesn't seem the the view of space and when you think oh most of it's just set in a box yeah and yet you've totally believed this box is in space it feels very tactile and it's I just was like lost in it and in the end Robert Patterson sings the song on the closing yeah. credits and that song and that sounds like it should be funny but the song is so haunting and yeah. I like listen to it as I drive home and I became sort of obsessed with this film for ages I was like and I- it was just a sort of magical like I'm so glad that exists, exists, and I feel like I had a real special... It, like, connected me to something. Or, Talk to me about why you were reluctant to see it, because I have to tell you, when I saw High Life, yeah. my first thought afterwards was, Brett is going to fucking love oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah, I, oh, I, I really did. I think I probably texted you, but I, I my, one of my first thoughts after I saw that movie was, Brett is going <laughs> to love this movie. <laughs> why, because it's got a sex box in it? Yeah, because it's got a sex box in it. There was something about the tone of it that I thought you would really respond to. Hmm. There was something about the sort of, the kind of off-kilter. And I thought it asked lots of interesting questions about relationships and love yeah. and humanity that you would really respond to. Yeah. And he's brilliant, Robert Patterson. He's he's kind of amazing. He's very he's very good. He's very good in it. Andre three thousand is great in it. Yeah, like the the cast is superb. Yeah, and I, I guess I I do love an art film yeah. when it's really really good. Yeah, yeah. And I and I listen to it's quite funny. I like I listen to a Q and A with Claire Denis, the director. And yeah. She's like a, in her seventies, and it's such a incredible film for. You know, maybe that's just me being stereotypical, but you wouldn't expect a, a French woman in her 70s to have made that film. It's well, so... and especially like, especially when you consider all of her other work. Yeah. When you consider, I, I, I my favourite of hers is 35 Shots of Rum, mm-hmm. which is that, this, you know, which is like almost realistic to a fault. Like it's yeah. it's so, it's a really beautiful film, but it's so concerned with ordinary people and mm. their everyday lives. <clears throat> And I would, I was yeah. so baffled when I saw she'd made a science fiction movie. It's such a big, bold film. And, the, and oh yeah, and I would listen to this Q&A with her. And it was basically, it was like a live Q&A somewhere. And it was kind of awful because she said about two minutes in, she said, oh, I realise I can't really talk about, I don't really have any answers for you and I'm very bad at talking about my own work. <laughs> and she, you know, it's almost like she follows her muse and she makes yeah, a thing. Yeah. And it just seemed like, yeah, I'd buy that. You've made this fucking yeah. proper work of art. Yeah. And you probably can't explain it. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah, you're right. It is... Yeah, those are two... It's interesting that we've both gone down the same road in terms of reaffirming your faith yeah. in cinema. Little Women 
which is such feels like such a crowd pleasing movie, even though and there's lots of brave decisions mm. that are made in it. But it's such an interesting unifying thing to go and see older people there and people my age, and then have my two teenage cousins yeah. and everybody sort of enjoying it. But also, it's great that we're still making fucking weird movies yeah. that have such. It's got such a chilly tone. Like it's so. There's some of it is so unsettling. Yeah, but there's also that thing. I th- I think one of the reasons it's special to me is. I would not be remotely surprised if a lot of people hated it. Like, I can't wholeheartedly recommend it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, on a different day, a different mood, whether I'd have liked it as much. But it was like this magical thing that sometimes these films are there for you at the exact moment, the exact window where that film was right for me. Do you know what I mean? I I can totally see a different day me going, oh, that was fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? But I loved it. Yeah. Anyway, what's the film you most related to? It's great, isn't it? No, actually, yeah. the film I'm most related to... So there's sort of two answers for this, but I've shunted one of them into a different question. OK. And I'll talk about that when we get to that question. Okay. But the film... Because to be... The film I'm most related to is Blinded by the Light. Oh, so Blinded by the great. Light yeah, is the cinematic adaptation of the journalist Safraz Mansur's um, autobiography of growing up um, in, uh, in Luton yeah. in the 1980s. And becoming absolutely obsessed with Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Now, there's like a weird backstory to this. Safraz Mansur is someone that I have been confused for in the past. Because Safra? he's an Asian man with brown going, yeah, Safraz <laughs> He's a man that I've been confused with in the past. And so I had this like, I had this like slightly, and but also... I was always a big fan of his writing and he would always crop up on like the late review and stuff. Uh, and, you know, in the 90s, this the idea of seeing a brown guy in that sort of position of talking about culture was really interesting. Like, I really remember seeing him and Echo Eschen on Newsnight Review and it being really striking that yeah. there were brown guys talking about culture. And, you know, he, was, he had curly hair and he also, I love Bruce Springsteen. And so I was always very aware of his writing about Bruce Springsteen. I mean, if we're really being honest, I would have to, I'd have to change Bruce Springsteen to Bob Dylan. Because right. I was, uh, and, you know, we swap 80s Luton for late 90s, early 2000s Croydon. But aside from those yeah, two yeah. things, it was exactly, I, I responded to it so strongly. And what, there's, there's two lines in it that, you know... It's a great moment when you watch a movie and you feel like somebody wrote a line specifically for you. There are two lines that I loved. So I got into Bob Dylan in the early 2000s when everybody was listening to The Strokes and or terrible dance music that then subsequently rebranded itself as EDM and now people like it again, which I have (laughs) a fucking clue. It sounds like fucking keyboards having a panic attack. But (laughs) uh, I I really loved Bob Dylan. And, you know, I was that, the weird brown kid who was obsessed with Dylan and everybody thought, one odd thing. And there's just a brilliant scene in the film where the, him and his other friend, uh, who's a Sikh dude, are both trying to get the school radio station to play Bruce Springsteen. And the guy says, Bruce Springsteen, that's the music my dad likes. And he, he, the guy looks at him and goes, not my dad. And you go, yeah. yeah, that's what, that's one of the reasons why I think, uh, like, Dylan spoke to me so yeah. much. Because everyone, all, lots of my white friends didn't like it because that was the music of their parents. But my parents weren't really, they were, like, listening to mainly Bollywood. Right. <laughs> and so it, I didn't have that relationship with it at all. Um, and then the other line that really felt like it was written specifically 
about me and for me because a lot of the movie is about you know the kind of culture clash where he wants to be a writer and his um, family very sort of quite traditional muslims and they don't want him to do that they want him to kind of find and there's a really beautiful subplot with his sister and how she kind of she's chafing against the parents but it's manifesting itself in her going to these like daytime bungra raves it's really really lovely it's a lovely like little plot line in the in the middle of that film and um but there's a scene where he, the, the main character says, I want to build a bridge to my ambition, but not a wall between my family and me. And you're like, mm-hmm. that for second generation immigrant kids who didn't follow the pattern that was laid out for them by their parents, that is a real, like, th- that is a real, like, gut punch. Wow. But um, y- y- I felt very seen by that line. And it's a lovely movie. I, I hope people go and see it because it's a very, very endearing if if you're a fan of Bruce Springsteen, mm. it's it, you know it's it dramatizes the music of the boss so incredibly. And I mean, he was very nice about the film afterwards, and he he said to he thanked Gurinder Chadha for looking after his music so well. Uh. It really, if you, I, I mean, I it, whilst Dylan is my obsession, I love Bruce Springsteen as well. Mm. And so it's kind of thrilling to see that music on the big screen and be dramatized in such an interesting way. But also for Brown kids who didn't become doctors, there's a real, real pull to it because you you didn't do it deliberately to piss your parents off, <laughs> yeah. and you don't want to upset your parents, yeah. but you also still want to sort of live your dreams. And that line, "Build a bridge to my ambitions, not a wall between my family and me," I was like, "Fuck you, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> you re- you captured it all in one line, and it you know it may as well have been written for me. That's lovely, Nish. I can't really top that, but I mean. I'm just sometimes feel like a 13 year old uh, chubby girl on her way to a pool party. <laughs> so I'd say, great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is objectively greatest film of the year? I, I have to say, mm. I found this quite easy. Yeah. Uh, if Beale Street could talk. <sighs> For me, because mm-hmm. with, with this question, and I do say this every time, you know, you're thinking about. If you're talking about objectively greatest, you're thinking about the film that you could show to someone to explain to them what cinema is. And Beale Street, I just thought, I thought it was extraordinary. I don't know. I felt, I, you know, Moonlight was so incredible. Yeah. And the source material is incredible, the Baldwin novel. Yeah. So you're going into this with high expectations. And yet somehow I was still blown away by it. It's one of the most beautiful films to look at I've ever seen. The precision mm-hmm. of the composition of the images, the use of colour, the that... I sometimes find the technique of the sort of point of view filming in dialogue scenes where the characters yeah, are looking yeah. down the barrel at each other. I sometimes find that really alienating and I find it quite irritating. And yet in Beale Street, I absolutely loved it. The sequence in the middle of the film with Brian Tyree Henry at the dinner table is... Is it your answer? That's my answer to... Anyway, we'll I mean, let's talk about it further down the line. But I just thought... I thought the performances were perfectly judged. I thought the script was beautifully executed. Mm. I I just... Yeah, I I was absolutely blown away by it. Mm. And I had expected it to be excellent. Yeah. And I do feel a little bit like 
why people not fucking talking about Beale Street? You know why? <laughs> I, I have a theory about it. Yeah. It's because it's a small film. And as in, it is... Films that win Oscars have big shouty scenes in. Yeah. And big, uh, yeah, big declarations. There's only one sort of big outpouringly emotional speech and that's Regina King and she yeah. won the Oscar. Yeah. But the rest of the film is very small and it's very contained and it's it's uh it's very understated. And understated films don't get Yeah. Don't get the love. I, I just thought it was you know, the films that it's trying to evoke as well, that sort of Douglas Sirk mm. melodrama, to sort of take that template <clears throat> And apply it to an, you know, an African American story yeah. written by one of the preeminent African American writers, and to have this, and also like the two leads are so beautiful, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and that sort of stuff does matter. Yeah, like you, you know, when you see them on the big screen and framed the way that he frames it, I mean, yeah, he's just he's. His understanding of cinema is because he, you know, he adapted the novel as well. And he took, again, what, you know, what, as you say, is quite a small story about mm. personal relationships between these people. And I I actually felt he sort of blew it up into an epic in yeah. the way that he did with Moonlight, where you take a small, intimate story, but make it into this large canvas yeah. explosion of colour and feeling. And that's that's what I think is incredible about him is he's this incredible stylist cinematically, but there's so much heart and guts. And the music in the mu- is... And the music is, oh man. Unbelievable music. It's extraordinary. Just Direct a beautiful succession. film. Is it? Th- is yeah. it really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, that um, makes sense. What was your greatest film? Well, uh, well, let's talk about... I'll do my Bill Street because I got that for another answer, so while we're on it. Yeah. My, my Bill, Bill Street was was going to be my greatest but yeah. I'll come to that uh, but the the Beale Street this is my one that changed my perspective on something yeah. I have talked about this once with Dame Baptiste a long time ago but genuinely it was uh, aside from being brilliant and beautiful and blah 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 all of that stuff it was the first time that I fully understood the importance of representation yeah. and what I mean by this is I always thought I understood it. Yeah, I yeah. always thought, yeah, 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 it's important. You know what I mean? Like, I, I kind of get it. That's what yeah. I thought. But when I saw If Bill Can Talk, there's two scenes in it. There's one early doors where the daughter is pregnant and she's going to tell the dad. And the mum says, you're going to have to tell the dad. And, and he comes home and he gets yeah. out a bottle of whiskey. And because of cinema, because yeah. of what we've seen at the cinema... I'm expecting a big fight. Yeah. This is going to turn into violence. It's going to be nasty. Shit's going to go down. Yeah. And that is not what happens. What happens is a very nice family tried to make sense of this yeah. situation. Then there is another scene where his friend, things are going okay, and his friend comes out of prison. And you go, oh, because of cinema, this guy's going to be fucking trouble. Yeah. And he's going to get them into all kinds of trouble. And that's not what happens. It's about fairly decent people trying to live decently. And I realised, fuck, in mainstream cinema, I have not seen yeah. a black family portrayed like this in, in a black film. Yeah. I'm so used to drugs and guns and yeah. violence that this seems fucking subversive. This scene of a family getting yeah. on and trying seems genuinely, oh, wow, this is surprising. I'm not... Uh, uh, and that's when I realised, fuck, if all you're seeing is this negative portrayal or this certain type of view, 
It does make a fucking difference. Yeah. And it and it shouldn't be surprising. It shouldn't be surprising that yeah. scene. And yet it was because I realised I haven't fucking seen that scene. Yeah. I haven't seen a scene of a black family having a you know this kind of evening. I've not seen it. I've not seen it in mainstream cinema. Yeah. And you go fuck. I get it. It's important. Yeah. It shouldn't feel. It shouldn't yeah. feel shocking. Yeah. And yet it does. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean, yeah. Does this and it make is, sense? No, it, it makes like total sense. No, 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 it makes total sense because, like you say, you're programmed with a certain set of cultural assumptions yeah. that then all it takes is for somebody to just do the simplest thing in yeah. a story and they're completely surprised. And you go, God, I've realised I've never seen this with... with, with... I, I have to say, I had a sort of slightly darker thought oh, in yeah. that scene. So, the, I mean, the scene, the dialogue scene where Brian Tyree Henry... Where they're talking oh. in the kitchen, the way that that's shot, the way the the way they do it in one take and the camera. Yeah. I've heard him talk about it that they tried to shoot it as two different things and they couldn't get the energy. And he wanted to feel the actors reacting to each other, yeah. and so they got that thing where the camera moves between the two of them. It, it is is extraordinary. I and this is this is totally obviously me being a real cynical yeah. guy, but and I and I'm gl- so deeply pleased that the scene was in there but when brian tyree henry says uh i think white people must be devils yeah in my head i was first of all i was like this is fucking thrilling watching this is fucking thrilling technically the content the performances everything but in the back of my mind i went there goes your oscar oh wow i genuinely thought in that moment you just they won't they won't reward this movie because it's too real like it's too real and fucking Green Book won the Oscar. Oh my and god, that, that's and disgusting. That, and that tells you, and that's yeah, that's why I was so angry about Green you Book. You can make race films about racism as long as they're configured to make white people feel good about themselves. Whereas that <sighs> Beale Street was an authentic African American story, <clears throat> and it, it they kept that line in. Yeah, and and I'm so pleased that they kept that line in. But but, uh, the, but I genuinely, in the back <sighs> of my mind, thought there goes your Oscar because. You've not. You've made this so truthfully that it it, it it's it's designed yeah. to make white audience members feel uncomfortable, and it's that's it's brilliant and it's beautiful and I'm so glad they kept it in. God. But I knew in the back of my mind I was like, that's you. They they the goes. Oscars will not reward that. Here's what I wanted to say because you said earlier about because uh, right. I got one more thing to say. This yeah, maybe yeah. two. You said, we like things that show don't tell us stuff. Yeah. Weirdly, so there's a film called The Farewell. Yeah. It's not an answer to any of my questions, but I fucking love The Farewell. It's an answer to one of my questions, it, yeah. Okay, it's, it's in my top yeah. ten, certainly, but it's not an answer to questions. And The Farewell is made by Barry Jenkins, who made Bill Street Can Talk. <laughs> it's made by his girlfriend or his yeah. wife? His girlfriend. Pro- I don't know if they're married, but His partner. partner. It's yeah, made yeah. by his partner, yeah. Lulu, Lulu Wang. Lulu Wang, yeah. And what's interesting is, both of The Farewell is fucking brilliant, and I yeah. love it both and i think that they must go out those two because even though the films are very different there's a similarity in terms of how much they love the characters how much sort of empathy there is for the world and the and everyone in it uh and the sort of time it takes over each person but what i really liked in both films is there is a scene in both films where characters actively talk about what the fuck is going on yeah yeah and it's not and that's not to say that it's not subtle, but that it's not hidden, that it's not subtext, it's not like, oh, one day you'll work at it. It's like, here's what 
what's going here's the yeah, thoughts yeah, yeah. and it's such uh and it's so uh profound in both yeah. places in the in the bill street can talk you have the scene with the white white people definitely yeah. and and where he he says i don't think america likes black people yeah and it's such a like wow moment yeah, yeah. and uh and it's very on the nose and it's yeah, said yeah. and it's not su- you know it's not hidden it's yeah. like here's the thing and in the farewell there's a sequence that i haven't stopped thinking about where so the farewell is about uh, uh, this family and their grandma is dying of cancer, but in their culture they don't. Yeah, they, they decide they decide to not tell her that she's dying. So they and instead fake sort of a wedding, a sham marriage. Yeah, so that they can hang out with her. So everyone keeps crying around her. She doesn't seem to understand. Well, and that. then the loose cannon in this is the protagonist, who's played by Aquafina, yeah. who's this. They, they don't they don't invite her because they're worried she won't be able to make it through the wedding. Yes, and yeah. so there's a scene where they. Are standing and having a cigarette outside yeah, with the yeah, uncles, yeah. and she says, "I think it's wrong that we're doing this. We have to tell her the truth." And he says, "You've been in America too long." He said, "The reason you want to tell her the truth is because you don't want the emotional burden yeah. of it. You're feeling this pain, yeah. but in the East, where you are from, our job is our sacrifice for all that she gave to us is to hold the emotional burden. Yeah. Because if we tell her, then she is suddenly." going to be in a lot of emotional pain. Yeah. And what you are uncomfortable with, with this lie, is that you have to hold the emotional burden, which is what we do. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, man. It's the, it, Yeah, it's extraordinary. I'm only sort of slightly chuckling, as you mentioned, they go out because you're like, that's the fucking coolest couple in the it's world. It's the coolest couple. It's the coolest couple yeah. in the world. It's, my, it's amazing. It's just absolutely incredible that the yeah. two of them are together. Like, it's they're, they're so cool. Yeah, yeah. They both, oh, God. I just think they must read each other's scripts and go, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. God, we're good. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In, indie cinemas finally got its own Brangelina. Yeah. And again, The Farewell is, is a world I haven't seen. It's the, Beautiful it's, song. It's, it's, you know, it's a whole thing. Yeah. You go, yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. And it wasn't like, what is this? Yeah, yeah. You know. So it's my answer Go on, what's your... To the film that changed my perspective. So we've, we've sort of flipped Okay, ones. so what's your it's film that changed It's my answer to the film that changed my perspective, The Farewell. And The Farewell didn't change my perspective because the, it was close to being my answer <laughs> to the film that I've most related to. Because, famously, I am not Chinese. <laughs> so you say. <laughs> but it's, it's a movie about a big family from a... A big Asian family. Yeah. And the protagonist in it is again an Asian immigrant family black mm-hmm. sheep because she's pursuing a career in the arts and also everybody thinks she's emotionally a bit of a loose cannon and they don't really understand her. Now, I have no idea why I would relate to that, Brett. <laughs> I have no idea why I would relate to being the emotional, artistic, familial disappointment to a large Asian family. <laughs> I have no idea what element of that would speak to me. Um but what shifted my the thing that shifted my perspective because obviously so much of the film is such a second generation immigrant. I mean, she Billy the movie is actually a first generation immigrant, but yeah, because she is born in China and then is brought to the states when she's very young. Right. But for you know, first or second generation immigrants, the whole movie is a kind of fucking guilt trip. And, <laughs> yeah. But also, there's a sequence in it where. So the thing that shifted my perspective was. I feel like it kind of made me understand my parents more in a really weird way. Because I I went to see it 
and then I sent my parents to see it. And the thing is, I'd sort of given up predicting what my parents' reactions to things mm-hmm. were going to be. Like, I, they went to see Boyhood after I saw Boyhood, and I actually tried to persuade them to not go because I thought they'd find it so heartbreaking right. because I found it so extraordinarily heartbreaking. And afterwards, my mum went, it's a bit long. <laughs> She's right. And I, and I, I, I my mum went to see Lady Bird, and I was afraid, because I thought the relationship with Lady Bird was yeah. so close to our relationship when I was a teenager that I thought it would be uncomfortable for her and she went it was all right <laughs> and, I was like, <laughs> and then they said they were going to see the farewell and i was like go for it go f- yeah. f- i've given up trying to predict what you people will and will not relate yeah. to but afterwards my mum went that was a really hard movie to watch oh, wow. and uh, this there's, there's a scene in it where where billy played by aquafina says why did you bring me to america yeah. and i don't know a single first or second generation immigrant who has not had that conversation with their parents at some point wow. i don't I, I it's it's such a common thing because have you so, had that conversation yeah i've had that conversation before where you go well why the fuck are we here like if you if you would if you're so upset about us having our traditions eroded you were the ones who made the decision to come here you know mm. and it's a it's a really difficult thing to talk about and it's a really really awkward part of growing up as a second generation immigrant is at some point you will have the kind and it's the first time I've ever seen it dramatized in a film yeah. but that moment was like a real you know that was a real there are a lot of people who have seen that movie who have a similar background to me that would have gone fucking hell and I because I, I've had conversations with friends of mine where we've all gone Jesus Christ <laughs> it, it's almost one of those things where you go hey Lulu Wang Maybe we don't have those conversations. Yeah. We don't, those are the ones we keep keep to keep to the community Barry. meetings. Yeah, keep that to you and Barry. Um, but afterwards, I talked to my mum about it, and I came out of that movie having so empathised with Aquafina's character and seen mm-hmm. myself so much in it. And I, my mum said, oh, "It's a really hard movie for us to watch." And I said, "Yeah." And she went, "I would definitely not tell your grandma." Oh wow! She was like, if you if the, if your grandmother was terminally ill, I would definitely not tell her, wow. and it totally flipped my perspective on the film, and sort of, and because of that scene where he yeah. says it's our emotional burden, that's that's how we repay it. I if I feel like I sort of understand my parents a bit better uh, after having seen after having seen the farewell. I think this is a similar thing that you said about Roma. About Roma yeah. yeah, about uh, but I do think I understand my parents' motivations a bit better. And it was only because of that conversation I had with my mum because I'd watched The Farewell completely mm. through the prism of empathizing with Aquafina's character. Yeah. And then I realized that there was a whole other different movie happening. And my parents didn't empathize with her and they were watching the film from the perspective the of her parents. And they had a completely different viewing experience watching it. And I, it made me understand more why they've made some of the decisions that they've made. It's so interesting. But I, I mean, it's maybe because it's it's because he says the West is selfish. Yeah. Your, your, your desire for truth that you call truth and it's important to be truthful is selfish. Yeah. Because it lets you off the emotional hook. You then don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Fascinating. It's, yeah, it was a, it's a really extraordinary thing. Wow. This shit went deep. <laughs> Uh, what is oh I haven't answered the greatest film though it was just the other night and I'll tell you what (laughs) 
Ooh, a cliffhanger. What will Brett's greatest film of the year be? Tune in next week to find out. <gasps> Can you wait? Can you stand the suspense? I know I can't, and I know what it is. So that was episode 85. Go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating, and write about your film that means the most to you and why. If you have a look, people have been doing it, and the stories are well-moving, and I do read them, and it's really touching, and it means a lot to me, so keep doing it. Plus, it helps numbers, means more people see it, I can keep making it, more and can keep drinking craft beer. We can be happy forever until we all die. Thank you so much to Nish for doing the show and for being excellent. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it, to Acas for hosting it, to Adam Richardson for the graphics, Lisa Leiden for the photography, and Tom Allen for shouting the intro. Come join me next week for the final part of the Supermassive Deluxe End of the Year, End of the Decade special. In the meantime, hey, have a lovely week and please be excellent to each other. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse... I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.